0: So last Sunday, uh, we started with the, the, you know, talking about the mission of the kingdom of kingdom humanity. This is the mission of the kingdom of God. Um, And we are doing this over really a couple of Sundays over the month of Feb and we'll see how God leads us. Um, We're just listening to the Lord for details as he leads us in the execution process. But this is the activation, time of activation. That's how we want to see. That's how we frame it. Uh, it's a time of activation for us that, that the word that God has given us over, over, over time, over the years, um, and that in the early days, we, you know, looked into the word of God and, you know, we spoke about the priesthood is changing, something is changing in the church, and, and we've come to a place where that word has the revelation aspect of that word, and God will continue to breathe. Uh, insight and illumination into our hearts we we get that because you know we we will forever need that we forever need God to impart insight and understanding into our hearts but we are declaring that we're in a a phase a point in time in the journey of this word where we want to activate it we're in an activation time and uh, it's a significant time for for you and I um, and not only for people who are in this room, but um, for those that God would want us to reach out to. We really want to reach out to to the church with this word. We want to reach out to the unsaved with this word. This is Christ comes through his word, and he comes to his own through his word, right? Uh, Christ was in the beginning. He was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And he comes to his own through his through his word right in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God and uh, the word becomes flesh and it dwells among us so Christ comes to his own through his word so we're looking at that we're looking at the mission of kingdom humanity and we're taking that and we're praying to, to the spirit of God we're saying activate us saturate us and that's why it's been beautiful to sing that song saturate us Um, because it is a time for God to saturate us with his presence, with his nature, with his spirit, with his word. God, Christ, comes to his own through his word. So you are good? Beautiful. So the mission of kingdom humanity, we begin this with the statement from Jesus, the words of the Lord himself, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, in that very critical conversation when he has a conversation with his disciples about who he is and asking the question, who do people say that I am? And they give answers. And it was varying answers, reflecting conflicting or different uh, perspectives about society at the time, about Jesus Christ. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're this or Elijah. One of the, one of the prophets. Uh, so there was a, at least a, a, a consensus, an agreement, In society in those days, that this man Jesus was significant. Obviously, some did not believe that he was the Son of God; he was the Christ. But at least they believed that he was significant. He was a significant prophet from God. And Jesus shifts the question: "Who do you say that I am?" And uh, uh, there must have been intervening silence as every one of those disciples pondered: "Who is this man that we are following? Who is he?" And 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 the Spirit of God jumps upon Peter and Peter gives a correct answer. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. It is upon the basis of the correctness of that answer that Jesus declares, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Um, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And we are introduced in the context of that conversation, you and I, our destiny, the fact that we will be saved and be part of this glorious thing called church, the plan is laid out by Jesus for the very first time, and, uh, and obviously he said that Jesus grew up in a in a Jewish culture. Since he was a young boy, he would have known what it looked like to go to a synagogue and to worship God on a Sabbath. He knew that very very well, um, uh, and so really based on that history, based on his cultural setting. The words that Jesus should have uttered in Matthew 16, verse 18, um, the words, I will build my synagogue. You know, I will build my synagogue. Clearly, he departs from that. He rejects that. He puts that aside. The synagogue was just a gathering of people who came together um, uh, to worship God, to look at scripture. Somebody would read scripture and they would worship God. And Jesus wanted something more than that, clearly. He borrows a concept, an idea from the greco roman world. You are in a context, a cultural context, a point in time in history where the prevailing thought, human thought, has been driven by the Greeks and the Romans. And it was the Greeks who had had this body, this idea that, you know, citizens must come together to administer the affairs of their city. I mean, it's like... um, uh, I I studied political science, um, uh, and uh, if you do political science 101, you start the first thing you, start, you learn about is is the Greeks. They were pretty advanced for their time. Um, they didn't like kings and monarchs. You know uh, that's why there was problems with Julius Caesar when um, they felt he was moving in that direction. They they had a senate. They they they. Cultivated the idea; they encouraged the citizens to participate in the governance of the city. It was quite advanced for its time, pretty advanced. Uh, In fact, you'd be beaten. It was uh, uh, there was a penalty for missing for missing the meeting of the ecclesia. You know, uh, there would be people who go into the neighborhoods and get everybody to come. You being uh, called to the assembly. It was. It wasn't like representative democracy like what we have today. You know, you, we elect people, right? Then they go to parliament and hopefully they do the right job. And you bank on that. If they don't do the right job, then you're in big trouble. In those days, every voice mattered. So in the ecclesia, everybody participated. That's, that's, that was the idea. So that's, that, we are looking at that because Jesus borrows a concept, which means it's quite significant, Um, The idea of participation, the idea of involvement. These are the ideals of Ecclesia, of participation, of involvement, of engaging the process, of not being peripheral, of not being on the sideways and letting others uh, do things on your behalf, but participating, involving yourself was the critical idea of value system or the ethical position behind the idea of, of being the ecclesia and and uh, since then since Matthew 16 the church and Acts 2 we've been pushing towards what did Jesus mean by I will build my ecclesia what does the Lord really want out of us but we get the idea of in terms of how that body functioned so he does borrow, he leaves what was the synagogue within the Jewish cultural context, and he borrows from the Greek Romans what was known as Ecclesia, a board of citizens who came together to administer the affairs of the city. The idea is that I must participate. Look at your neighbor and say, You must participate. And say to them, You must be involved. That's what Ecclesia means. Let's leave the, we're not trying to be academic here. We, you know, we, we are looking at it because Jesus, you know, throws it at us, meaning that we have to look at it. The ideals of it, we're not trying to be political science students. We are looking at the principles of what the Lord was trying to get at. The, 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 the church communities must be filled with people who participate, who get involved. And, and it's an administrative you know, community that's what it is it's a, it's a governing community that's what it is so Jesus says I will build my church in Matthew 16 and verse 18 and since the Lord said those words and we see the history the timeline and, and I've kind of added a little bit of detail if you have a discerning eye hopefully and so in the timeline we see God at work right what do we see God had worked from the time that Jesus says, I will build my church. And we say that church was not the afterthought. Church was always in the mind of God. We were chosen in him before time began. And so we know that the idea of church flows from eternity, from God's eternal plan. That's where the thing begins. It does not begin as God stumbles into something. God never stumbles into things. He he is always moving and flowing in predestination and foreknowledge. And so we have always been a part of the plan of God. And yes, he started with the dispensation of Adam in the garden, and things went wrong there. Then he went into um, the era of Israel um, and the law of Moses, and things didn't quite work there, and then it is us, right? We are the third uh, um, idea. But in being the third idea, we're really, moving back, we are the original idea of God. He's always had the plan to build the thing that we call church. So in the timeline, we flow from the eternal plan of God, and then we see the church being bathed in Acts chapter 2 through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Very significant principle because that means that really without the Holy Spirit you can't have a functional church. Right? Without the Holy Spirit you cannot have a functional church. So the bathing of the church happens uh, um, through the outpouring of the Spirit of God that comes upon the 120 who are gathered in the upper room. And... In the timeline, we've added the geographic location. Of course, this takes place in Jerusalem. This is in the Middle East. And when we look at the shifts geographically of how God has been moving since Acts chapter 2, again, you can see you know, places from which doctrine and the image of Christianity has been formed and shaped. This is very important. Places from which doctrine from which mission, from which um, uh, 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 the image of what it means to be a Christian has been formed. And so if you went to the upper room, and I don't know what song they were singing, but they were worshipping, right? They, they were doing things, they were praying, and they may have not sounded like how we sounding this afternoon, or sounded when we were worshipping. This is very important. The, the, the culture that goes with the, the, the advancement of the kingdom and the advancement of, of, of church in the earth is very, very important. Okay, so we're in the Middle East in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, that is what gives birth, gives rise to the church, which means that your, 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 your history connects to that place in some sense. You know, you know, God has been building from there. And then... After the Acts of the Apostles, which you know, we read about in the Probe Acts, we fall into what is generally known as the Dark Ages. This is in, the 500, in around 500 A.D. Um, and Dark Ages was really known as a place of lack of advancement, lack of thought. Uh, it was a time when we see the rise of Catholic Christianity. And, uh, you know, that period runs for about it's a whole millennium and it runs for um, it was a pretty long time it's time of pandemics of wars of 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 lack of thought of of religious um impositions and and people dying for what they believed and all kinds of horrible things begin to happen inside of and the church inside of that time loses her truths loses her, her ministries and loses her significance and church gets corrupted along the way. As Christianity is institutionalized and people come into this Christian space with, with, with uh, um, you know, practices where, where essentially worldly and that's where we see the formation and you know, activation of some of the traditions that Have lingered in the church up until this point in time. This happens from 500 AD till about the 1500s. Instead of that time, there are prophets who are rising within the Catholic Church who are declaring that something is not right. Some of them have to die for the things that they declare. But, you know, something the Spirit of God was doing and pressing, you know, during that time. So the the Dark Ages is a lamentation of society. It's a lamentation in some sense, both inside of the church and in society. Inside of the church, there was lack of doctrine, corruption of doctrine, corruption of ministry. You have the rise of Catholic priests and believers do not have the Bible and people are preaching all sorts of things. And, and, And there's a doctrinal crisis. It's a time of theological crisis. But equally in society, Something is happening. It's lack of thought. There is, there is almost like people feel that they are bound and limited. There is no advancement. Until a time when a German monk, Martin Luther, in the 1500s breaks out and the Spirit of God comes upon him and he declares the priesthood of all believers and he declares against um, the practices of Catholic Christianity and the reason why it's called Protestant movement. It was built out of the, the word protest protestant, obviously linking to the word protest. And the, really the idea of the word protestant is, is to take a public stand against something. And these are the roots of, of you and I. You know, we, we, we are founded upon the idea of protestant Christianity. We take a stand in the public against things that are wrong. I have... A red dot before Martin Luther breaks out. Um, and that gives the context within which Martin Luther rises. It's one of the European Renaissance, it's one where people are pushing towards freedom of thought. And that's C culture. And people are pushing towards debating things again of having dialogue and interactions, which had been stifled by Catholic Christianity for a very, very long time. And that's the context that God, you know, uses. Context is important because we do find ourselves in a context today. And God does use context to drive certain things. And so Martin Luther rises within a cultural context of You know, in a time when people are starting to accept the idea of debate, of interaction, of dialogue. And so he nails his 95 Theses in the same kind of culture, following the same kind of cultural pattern. He's saying, hey, I want to start a debate on these issues. And that debate obviously becomes a a movement, really. And around that same time, we have the printing press technology invented, which facilitates... Uh, for Martin Luther's printing of the the Bible, uh, which obviously would have messed up the Catholic Church as an institution because up until that point, for about 1,000 years, your ordinary believer does not have a Bible, which is an obvious crisis, right? And then you move out of that, and this timeline of this is not very detailed. It's just a broad scan. You move out of that into, um, and again, I highlight there that This is now taking place in Europe, so you are shifting from the Middle East uh, into Europe as uh, this German monk breaks out with a word from God, and things begin to happen in Europe. And obviously, this coincides with all sorts of other things, explorations and things happening. But thought and culture and art and uh, uh, literature, all of these things are developed inside of that time that Martin Luther is rising to declare things. And some of these things we'll learn about in school, obviously. Um, So it's it's this European Renaissance that is taking place, uh, giving context to the Protestant movement, um, out of which you have the Lutherans, Lutheran church. And holiness movement, inside of that time, church is wrestling with the issue of sanctification. Of being separated from the world of living for the of living for the lord and not or not of not being defiled by the world and then in the 1900s things move so you move from the Middle East to Europe and in the 1900s things move to North America to the USA to be specific and there is a context again there it happens at a time of the rise of this of this American empire and that facilitates all bunch of things: the the, expectation, the 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 proclamation of the word of the Lord, the the people traveling around and evangelists and whatever that God was and whoever that God was raising in those days, being able to go around and do what God was calling them to do. It's a time of missions and the spirit of Pentecost of a Pentecostal movement um, built on the primary foundation of speaking in tongues of receiving the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues. I grew up in a in a Pentecostal church. Um, you know, somebody made an observation that actually, interestingly, uh, it's interesting that sometimes Pentecostal churches you don't find a lot of speaking in tongues at times. Very, very interesting. The very thing that the very thing that uh, you know gives rise to um, you know this Pentecostal movement was a very, very powerful movement in the 1900s. Again, rides upon the foundation of the American empire, of America rising to become a global power uh, in the earth, allowing people to move around and do all sorts of things for God. So God will always use what is happening upon the earth and that we shift into the charismatic, charismatic movement which takes things further is that we don't only have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receiving, uh, receive gift of tongues, but actually the saints can manifest the, the 12 gifts of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, sorry, the nine gifts of, this, of the Spirit of God, First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, uh, these are called the body gifts. This significantly changes the nature of Sunday morning for obvious reasons. Because if you have somebody now manifesting a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, healing, isn't that going to change the way that we do Sunday? Yeah? It changes the way that Sunday is done. And... And, uh, and then in the 80s, this is now 1960s and the charismatic movement breaks out and changes worship. Because when the spirit, people, people are filled with the Spirit of God and, and can hear God and flow in the gifts of the Spirit of God, worship is going to change. Ministration, the laying on of hands, functioning in the gifts of the Spirit of God, all these things begin to change the way the church runs. And then in the 80s, very broad scan here. Uh, In the 1980s, the prophets come in a time when church believed that there were no no longer prophets in the church. Uh, Prophets come and restore the idea of the office of the prophet in the 80s. And the idea that God speaks through man. The word of the Lord can come to us through man. In the 90s, apostles come. And again, we see a shift here. So, From this time, 1900s, things have been happening in North America and things have been exported from that place. And as apostles and reformation breaks out in the church, God moves again and he moves by and large in what we can call global south. Uh, Africa, South America, your third world countries, so to speak. And that's where God begins to move and that's where this move gained um, momentum. Um, the, apostolic and the, apost- the apostolic move and the apostolic reformation. Um, we're not going to get into details of that, but that's basically what happens. And we are in a time when God is significantly building his, his body, the body of Jesus Christ. And this is very, very important because ultimately, all that God has been doing has been leading to this time, right? And this is the new millennium. Uh, that we find ourselves. This journey has been running for over 2,000 years. It's been a long time. People have been raised by God. People have died. It's been a long time. And, and, and here we are in 2023 proclaiming something from God. It's been a long time. And we know that God is very set in running things and until things are complete. There has been generations of church that have believed Jesus was going to come back at a particular point in time. It hasn't happened there's been prophecies about jesus coming back on a such and such and such such date. it has not happened that basically tells us that god is very set on his plan right yeah he wants he wants to deliver something upon the earth and and so and so that's where we find ourselves and uh, basically we find ourselves where there's a greater focus upon the believer and Kingdom humanity is happening within that context. And there is a, a cultural context. There's a, a socioeconomic context to this. Whether you're looking at failing governments and frustrations that we have as governments fail to do what they're supposed to do. When we begin to proclaim citizenship, that speaks into a particular context. Actually, socio. Economically and politically, you and I can no longer just fold our hands and believe that, you know, the minister of so and so is doing things on your behalf, and who's going to get the job done properly. So, in a time when we're declaring citizenship, is a context, and 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 there's significance within the nations that would be called third world nations where things are basically failing. Where you are, you find yourself in a society that is functional. Uh, your your desire for God dies. Uh huh. In a sense, that's what Europe went through. You know, if, if next door you can go to a hospital and the hospital is functional, you know, your desire for God, you have to wrestle for your desire for God. But if you are in Africa, if if you got sick today, to, tomorrow you don't know if you find a space in a hospital. That you know, we have load shedding issues, that you have unemployment issues, you have um, uh, issues of uh, high rates of youth unemployment, and all sorts of problems. And when we say, Hey, active citizenship, that starts to resonate. There's always a context to these things, yeah? There's always a context to these things, and that's very, very, very important. God uses the context all the time, God uses the context all the time. It begins in Exodus 2 when people are gathered on a day of Pentecost with a heart and a desire for God, that the Spirit of God pours His Spirit. How, how funny is God? Yeah? Don't you love Him? On the day of Pentecost, He pours the Spirit of God. <laughs> when people are gathered from all sorts of places in desire for God, He pours His Spirit. Yeah. He pours His Spirit. And that's in a time when, uh, in Europe, people are trying to press against uh, limitation of thought and culture and and development of literature. God jumps upon a German monk, Martin Luther, to proclaim a protestant movement. And that breaks them free from uh, the chains and the bounds and the limitations of Catholic Christianity. There is always a context that God uses. And so when we're declaring, hey, there is a practice of Christ, of the humanity of Christ, in which you have to practice devotion, humanity, and citizenship, there's a context to that. We always have to be mindful of the context. From eternity, God has been working. In Acts 3, verse 21, it says, He, Jesus, that is Jesus, must remain, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised Long ago through his holy prophets. And that's where, you know, it does not matter what we have prophesied and what we say Jesus, when we say Jesus is going to come back. God has a plan and God is sticking to that plan. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a plan. And say, we must work with that plan. You can't work, you can't have your own plan. You can't have, you know, denominations can have their own plan or movements or networks. So we have to find out what is the plan of God and work with that plan. So Jesus must remain in heaven until there's a condition, there's a prerequisite to Jesus' coming back, until the time comes for God to restore everything. So we can say that God is on a restorative journey. Yeah? God is on a restorative journey. God is on a restorative journey. That's what God is doing. And until that journey, until that restorative plan of God is complete, Jesus will not come back. It's a good thing to have conversations with friends, with ourselves about these things. Until God's restoration plan is complete, Jesus will not come back. That's how do we know it? Because the scripture says so. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So there's a plan that has been declared by prophets that God reveals from time to time progressively upon to each and every generation of church. And that plan is underway. So when we declare kingdom humanity, it's part of the restorative plan of God. Jesus cannot come back until you have a church that is fully functional within the issues of devotion, of personal humanity, and of citizenship in the kingdom of God. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Amen? God has objectives. He said, I will build my church. He has objectives. Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. God has objectives for the equipping of the saints. God has given us five gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come, till We all come to the unity of the faith. In other words, there is a goal to the functioning of fivefold ministers. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, in other words, a mature church, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Very important phrase. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This, in other words, does not depend on how good we feel. We don't use our own goals to measure the progress of the growth of the church. We go back to the scripture and we let the spirit of God reveal it to us and to guide us in terms of what it is that he wants. So for the equipping of the saints, that word equip means to prepare something to fit into a future reality. And whenever I describe that word equip, I use the example of you have a broken window at home. You know, you've broken the glass of your window. And you need to replace it. What's the process? What is the first thing that you do if you're going to go to uh, a shop that sells windows? I don't want to mention brands. You know, I used to be in marketing. I don't want to give people... uh, uh, just Just go to your hardware. Yeah, let's, let's call it a hardware. <laughs> let's call it a hardware. That's a good thought. <laughs> Otherwise, all these, uh, these brands, you know, will come through our audio. And then we're going to have to charge them. For airtime. <laughs> for the equipping of the saints, that word. If you have a broken glass at home, you want to restore your window, the first thing you do is you measure your frame, right? You measure your frame, because if you go get to the hardware store, they're going to ask you, where are the measurements? How do we know what do we sell you, because you don't have the measurements? You measure the frame, then you go to the hardware, you give them the, the hopefully, the measurements are correct, You know, I get very quite stressed when I have to do those things. I I do it 10 times, and then it's like, point something. It's like, oh, God, I don't know if I'm going to buy the right thing here. And then you go to the hardware, and they sell you the the, the glass. And you go back home. You fit it in the frame. And then, you know, you do your stuff, and hopefully you're doing a neat job. And then you have your window fixed, right? Yeah. So here's what to equip is to go is like leaders in the church have to go ahead of the saints to look into the future condition of Christ, right? To measure that, come back in 2023 and build the saints. Because leaders can't be discovering the measurements together with the believers. Then there's no point in being a leader, right? So the intensity of what we do and why we do what we do is informed by the measurements. That we see when we begin to declare, there is kingdom humanity, there is need for citizenship. We're seeing the frame of Christ, and we've measured that it will come back in 2023 in Durban on a hot day, and we declare it in a very cold room like this. Holy shh, getting cold, and we declare it because there is a future that we see in God. That's what equip means. It's a prophetic function for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, edifying meaning to build, to actually build, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the the stature, of the fullness of Christ. In other words, till we really fill up the scope of his nature. Think of Christ, the nature of Christ as as a spectrum. We need to fill up the scope of his nature. You think of uh, Christ as a garment that we need to fee- fit into. It can't be oversized. For Right now, if you put the garment of Christ upon church, it looks like it's oversized, right? Because we, we, ha- we need to grow. We need to build some mass. We need to de- develop some, some stature and some capacity. That's what Ephesians 4 verses 12 and 13 say. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, Paul says, We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present how many people? Everyone perfect in Christ. And Paul is saying, well, people need to fit within the frame that is Christ. Every one of us has the right to fit within that frame. And so that's how we have to build Colossians chapter number 1 verse 28. In Ephesians 3 verse 10, the intent of God was that now through the church, So in other words, the church comes to a place where it's no longer just being built, but it becomes the agency, the delivery mechanism for something. Now through the church, and I love the word agency, that's why we named this church Living Stones Agency. It means that we are God's delivery mechanism. We're here for a purpose and a mission bigger than ourselves. Bigger than our Sunday morning. His intent was that now through the church, Through the agency of the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So God has a plan. And this is just a sample of scriptures that indicate that God has a plan. There's a lot more other scriptures we could read, but we don't have time to do that. So God has a plan. God has an objective, right? And he's working towards that. There is a restorative plan there's a restorative flow. And until God's restoration is done, Jesus cannot come back to the earth. New impartations from God. If God is doing something to the church, that thing that God does has to deliver a bunch of fruits in the church. Number one, it must help the church to remove stains, wrinkles, and blemishes within, her, within the church. Ephesians 5 verse 27. The stains, the wrinkles, and the blemishes are basically the Bible way of saying the influence of the world, the influence of the world. So a new impartation from God must help the church deal with the influence of the world. How many of us feel the influence of the world? And we need to push back against the influence of the world, but to effectively push back against the influence of the world, you and I need to be empowered by the revelation of the Spirit of God. We can't do it just in our normal protest self. We need the Spirit of God to help us. A new impartation from God increases the measure of Christ in the church. There has to be an increase of the measure of Christ. In other words, we need to be saturated, fully baptized into the nature of Christ. There has to be, in other words, new realities of his nature arriving upon to us. And we know we did not have this two years ago. Five years ago, we were not thinking this way. We're functioning in a way that three years ago, we we did not think this way about the church. We, We are gaining new capacity to express and to broadcast Christ in the earth in ways that we have not before. Just like in the holiness movement, the church was saying we need sanctification because sanctification will distinguish us from the world and will empower us to broadcast the light of God to the the world. Because we can't be the light if we are mixed up with the world. And it was church then claiming its territory at that point in time. In the 1900s, churches said, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do church without the Holy Spirit. And so you have the Pentecostal movement rising out of that. And that links to the activation of missions. A whole lot of people begin to travel all over. Some come to this country, South Africa. Out of Azusa Street, you have all sorts of things happening. You have denominations being started. Uh, Like I told I grew up in a denomination that traces back to to that history. But that was a church saying, well, we need to find new capacity to stand for Christ in the world. And for them, it was the Holy Spirit. You could not declare that today because that is the acceptable reality today, right? You can't say, well, God is doing a new thing. And guess what's a new thing? It's the Holy Spirit. You are not not at the cutting edge of what God is doing if you do that. And yes, the Holy Spirit is a part of what we do. He is critical in how we function. But he does not represent what we know to be the the cutting edge expression or activity of the Lord in the church right now. Yeah? So a new impartation from God must increase the image of Christ in the church. A new impartation from God must produce missional capacity. Each time God moves upon the earth, upon the church, church gains new capacity for mission, for kingdom mission. And right, right now, that's where we are. We're looking at the, the mission of kingdom humanity. A new impartation from God must help the church to finish the purposes of God, obviously. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, the scripture we read, ultimately, the church must finish the purposes of God. We know this. So everybody got that? Important issues. And we put that alongside the new covenant signs. Absolutely important. And we are new covenant people. We are not the people of the old covenant. And we are people of Christ. We are people of grace. We are, we, 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 we are new covenant people. Whenever God moves upon the church, and the church is growing, how do you see that there must be greater uh, you know, access to God? If God is moving upon the earth and upon the church and all you have is a few people that are doing things, then there's no greater access to God. There's a problem there. The curtain has been torn, right? Matthew 27, verse 51. We have a new way open for us into the the most holy place. There has to be a demonstration of greater access. If there's something that God is doing in this earth, Kai must feel it. Yeah? Malusi must feel it. Kiara must feel it. Nkazi must feel it. There has to be greater access to God. Secondly, a new thing coming from God, a new impartation of life from God must activate supernatural life, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because he comes to us by his spirit. Acts 2 verse 17, right? I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. When God releases new life upon the earth, upon the church, we need to have greater capacity to internalize that. He writes his laws upon our hearts. We need to depend less on sermons and more on people walking with the power of conviction within their hearts. We've got to feel the conviction in the hearts of the people. If people are light in terms of conviction, then mm, you have a problem. If God is releasing new life upon the earth, and upon the church, there has to be a greater degree of conviction, the writing of the laws upon the hearts. If God is releasing new life upon the church, we need to have greater capacity to humanize, to incarnate the life of God, to represent it through our lives, to embody it, to, to personify it, to become it. The temple is the people. We are the temple of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. And if God is releasing new life upon the the church, the life of God must be decentralized more and more. You must be able to decentralize without chaos, though. Yeah? Decentralizing should not mean chaos. But you've got to be able to decentralize Because we talk about the priesthood of all believers. That means you and I, are. everybody is functional in the things of God. We're all entering into the most holy place. We're all lifting up our, our hands before the Lord. We're all participating. And it takes us back to the values of ecclesia, of participation and involvement. I will build a community of people that is characterized by participation and involvement. Priesthood of all believers. We've got to be able to decentralize the life of God without Chaos. How do you do that? You need to depend on the spirit of God. Everybody got that? Facilitate greater access to God. It can't be closed up the more God moves. It can't be privatized the more, the more God moves. The more God moves, the more doors must be open. The, the picture in the book of Revelation is one of a city with open gates one in which nations are moving in and, and moving out if god is moving the doors must be open there must be greater access there must be greater access to the things of god there must be activation of supernatural life the life of god must be internalized greater degree of conviction less someone's greater or more conviction or greater degree of conviction in our hearts we need to humanize, incarnate, represent, personify Jesus through our lives. And we need to decentralize the life of God. We need to decentralize without the fear of chaos. Because when there's fear of chaos, what, what happens is that we control the process, right? Because of fear. And that's what the Catholic Church did for the most part in the, great, uh, in the, in the, in the dark ages. They sought to control everything, including scientific concepts of the earth is the earth flat or round you know all of those things and they, they did that because of fear they wanted to, con- to, to, to control and to shape the, the, you, know, you know human thought and, and what society thought at that point in time with God you have the confidence the courage that things can be decentralized without the fear of chaos yeah? Amen? And these are the new covering signs of a growing church, a growing church.